For the rest of you, um, we're going to kind of wander through Scripture this morning, So, but I'm going to ask you to kind of turn your attention to three different areas of Scripture this morning. We're going to look at uh, the book of Luke in chapter 19, so you'll want to put your finger there or a marker there, Luke chapter 19, and then I want you to find John chapter 19, we're going to go there, and then the last one is Mark chapter 15. So we're going to look at three different gospel references today. I want to talk to you this morning about the one event that silenced the crowd. The one event that silenced the crowd. You see, the Bible tells us here that the life of our Lord Jesus Christ was marked with many contrasts. In the beginning of his ministry, he operated in obscurity. However, as the news of his power and his claim to be the Messiah spread across the land, people began to flock around him, began to build crowds everywhere that he went. They were drawn by the excitements of his miracles and the uniqueness of his teaching and preaching style. By the second year of his earthly ministry, Jesus was thronged with crowds of people everywhere that he traveled. These crowds were uh, with him until he began to preach a certain message, a message of extreme commitment found in John chapter 6 where the Lord Jesus Christ asked us this morning, will you pick up your cross and follow me? Will you be a disciple that is committed wholeheartedly to the service of the Lord? Or will you just kind of be one in it for what you can get out of it? John chapter 6 was a turning point for the crowds because Jesus demanded of them, there will be no more free lunches. There will be no more uh, free miracles. This is a time when you are going to have to make a decision. You are either with me or you're against me. I was asked the question this morning in our Sunday school lesson, why was Jesus hung on a cross between two thieves? The answer is very simple. One of the thieves came to know Jesus. The other rejected him. You and I have to make a decision. What are we going to do with Jesus? Either we're going to be like the one who said, Master, remember me in, in your paradise today, and we're going to have the promise of eternal life. Or we're going to be the other one who says, I don't want nothing to do with you and I will reject you all the way to my death. What kind of disciple are you willing to be this morning? Are you one that's willing to follow Jesus, to pick up your cross and to follow Him? By the time that Jesus reached the end of His ministry, the crowds were composed of those who were committed to following Him. Of course, it must be also stated that the crowds were not always in favor of everything that Jesus said or did. Many times the crowds were comprised of those who, who were violently opposed to the radical teaching that Jesus was teaching. Even among his own disciples, there were those such as Judas, the betrayer, and Peter, the denier. Please remember that the crowd in which gathered around Jesus were fickle. One minute they were in agreement and the next they were opposed. Never allow anyone to force you 
to be a part of the crowd. The Bible says that we should not be pressed into the world's mold, but be conformed by the word of the God so that we would be transformed from that thinking of the world to the thinking of Christ. We must remember that, that crowds can, can, can cause us to, to follow. We must be followers of Christ and leaders of others. As Jesus reached the last week of his life, the, the very thing that I want us to focus in on today, the crowds still were there. And one thing that strikes me as I read each of these passages of Scripture with you this morning is there's something they're all doing. All of the crowds that are surrounding Jesus during this last week of his earthly life are engaged in a lot of shouting. A lot of shouting. This morning, I want us to travel with Jesus to three events in his life during the last week of his ministry. At these three events, the crowds were shouting in the presence of the Lord. All of these events lead up to the one event that silenced the crowd. And that's what I want us to focus our attention on this morning. That one event that silenced the crowd. In order to do that, we must take a journey. Let's go back to the Sunday before Jesus as he was entering into Jerusalem. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 19, we find that in Luke's gospel, in verse 19, in verses 29 through 40, the largest portion of scripture that we want to read this morning, so I'm going to ask that as you would, if you would, honor the reading of the word of the Lord by standing with me as we read this section of scripture. In Luke's gospel in chapter 19, starting in verse um, um, 29, And it came to pass that when he had come nigh unto Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village again, over against you, and that which you are entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon never a man has set. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why are you loosing the colt? Thou shalt say unto him, Because the Lord has need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto him, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he had come nigh, even un, now unto the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, with all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you the truth that it should, if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Father, as we come into the presence of the Lord, reading the word of the Lord, we ask as we come 
in prayer to the Lord that you would take the scripture that we're going to look at today and Father, walk us through the journey of these events that took place in your life that were significant. But Lord, lead us to the very one that will silence the crowd and leave us with a plaguing question. So Lord, hear us now as we pray. Teach us, show us, let thy spirit have its work in us. And Lord, draw us nigh unto the foot of the cross that we might see the work therein and see the hope that is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. He takes the wickedness of our sin and he takes it upon himself so that we, as Andy sang, might be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Hear us now, Lord, as we cry out to you for help. And may the Spirit of the Lord speak to every heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. The very first experience that we have is the crowd's shout at his entrance, causing us to ask, why all the excitement? What's, what's going on that there's so much excitement in, the, in the Jerusalem? Well, we know that during this particular time of the year, this was the Passover, and there was hundreds of thousands of people that had come from all over the world to come back to Jerusalem for the Passover. But what was the excitement in that day? Well, according to verse 37, we find that they had experienced excitement because of the miracles and the power that they had seen demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. Some in this crowd were genuinely in love with him. They loved him because they had followed him and they had got to know him and they knew that which he, things which he had done, he had done for them and he had done because of the Lord. Others were there because of what they had seen and what they had heard and what they could receive from him. Some people are still only interested in what Jesus has and what he can do for them. They only want the miracles and the excitement. Just because they love miracles does not mean that they are born again. doesn't mean that they have been saved by the grace of God. There's a lot of people seeking miracles in this world today that don't know who Christ is. They're looking for them in all kinds of ways and excited when they see some miraculous event take place. But there is more than that they experienced excitement. There was shouting because they experienced enlightenment. Again, in verse 37, we find that, that, that the scripture teaches us that he was, as he was coming unto them, they were rejoicing and praising God because of what they had heard. There was an enlightenment that they had received from Jesus. This Jesus had taught them in ways that they had never heard the Scripture taught before. Many of them had said that, that he taught as if he had authority from heaven above, which, by the way, he did. Some were, were there shouting because of the radical teaching that they had heard. They were shouting because Jesus was telling them to be first, you must be last, and how ridiculous that was. There were many things that they did not agree with, but many things that they were excited about. He was different, and they were drawn to that. You know, there is still a crowd of people today that when they hear uh, something unusual, they experience something unusual, they will, uh, crowds will break out. 
How many times have we seen and heard that someone uh, seen an image in a piece of toast and, and flocks of people crowd to see that toast? We are a people that are, are, are drawn to the unusual. Yes, I know, and they say, well, that's why we come see you. <laughs> we like the unusual. We're a people that when we hear something unique, we want to, we want to hear more. It's almost like when we hear some radical teaching, we almost think that we're hearing from angels from heaven. Folks can hear something different, and they act as if this was a heaven-sent message. People are often attracted to the unusual. Just because they love the message does not mean that they have received the message. They have re also because they have experienced the expectations. Did you know today is Palm Sunday? So Palm Sunday is, is, is a time in which we remember what we just read, that very scripture of Jesus' entering into Jerusalem on the beginning of the week, the beginning of Holy Week, where Jesus becomes uh, to, to make it known why he has come. Today, many across the world will, will commemorate our Lord's triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. But for the disciples of Jesus, this day was a great excitement for them. It brought much joy to their heart because they thought Jesus was going to finally be received by the people. They were going to, to, to enthrall him and enthrone him. However, for our Lord, it was not a day of excitement at all, but a day of disappointment and heartbreak. You see, this is the day that Jesus made it clear to all that, who saw him just who he was. You see, Jesus knew that the, the, the shouts of praise that were being heard today would soon turn into shouts of crucify him. Although his life and his public ministry, Jesus had proven over and over again that he was the Messiah, that he had fulfilled the prophecies and performed the miracles in which he had done as to the word of God. He had told the Jews repeatedly that he was the Savior and, and that they had been anticipating down through the ages. They, however, were steadfastly refused to believe his simple claims this was the day when Jesus drew the line in the sand, if you would. When he appears on a donkey riding down from the Mount of Olives, there was no doubt as to what he was doing. He was revealing himself as the Messiah of Israel. At this great event, you will notice that the multitudes are shouting and lifting their voices in praise, Hosanna unto the Lord. Hosanna unto the Lord, meaning that he has come to bring us salvation. But listen, the problem is that the salvation in which they were looking for was not that which was God was offering. What they were looking for was a, a soldier that would come and redeem them from the plight of the Roman government. They were looking for a mighty warrior that would come riding into Jerusalem to set them free. And they were proclaiming, Hosanna, our salvation has come. However, the Lord reminds us 
in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 that his riding in on a donkey was not to overtake Jerusalem for and overtake the Roman government. It was that he was coming on a colt so that he would become the Messiah, the one who would go to the cross for them. Sadly, they missed the significance of this event. These people, Jesus came, as he came into Jerusalem, was for the sole purpose of going to Calvary. They wanted to crown him, but he was going to Calvary. These people missed it all. This man that was headed to the cross, Jesus came with the sole purpose of going to the cross and dying for the sins of man. He came to be the Savior of the world, not the King of Israel. My friends, until we know, until we know Him as the Savior, until we know Him for what He had come to do, until we come to accept the fact that He come to die for us, His life for ours, we will not understand what it means to shout, Hosanna unto the Lord. They shouted at his entrance to Jerusalem not because they knew who he was, but because they wanted to be something they wanted. They didn't understand that he was there to go to a cross, that the cross was greater than the crown. Those who knew him knew that there was a reason to shout and to praise his name. Church today, if we know Jesus as our Savior, we have plenty of reason to praise him, to shout today, to give him glory, honor, and praise. If you don't know him, I want you to know that he wants to be known by you today. And church, you know, um, there's always those that want to quiet the crowd. There's always those that want to hush the worship of the Lord. But I don't know about you, church, but I don't want the rocks crying praises for my God. I want to be the one praising my Lord today. I want to be the one thanking Him for the salvation, His life for mine. He got the raw deal, I'll tell you that. But praise the Lord, He came not to be crowned king, but to die a Savior for me and for you. We should not let the rocks cry out. The church should be praising the Lord this morning. Let our hearts ring with praise. May it be that the Lord hears us today praising Him. The second place in which we find is found in John chapter 19. Turn there if you would, verses 13 through 16. In John chapter 19, verses 13 through 16, the crowd shouted at his examination. The Bible tells us that when Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was in the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them. 
and to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. If we look at the words cried out, it tells us here something about how passionately they were crying out. A moment ago, we looked at the fact that they were praising the Lord, thanking God for the salvation, and now they're crying out. But what does that mean? It means to scream for or to demand something to be done. It means that they were not going to be swayed in their thinking. They wanted what they wanted, and it was going to happen no matter what. The crowd had been whipped into a frenzy that nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ was going to satisfy. Here, some of the same crowd that were shouting praises are shouting for his death during his trial before Pilate. The fickle crowd has changed their tune from praises to uh, crucify. When this man whom they supposed to be the Messiah didn't act as the way they thought he should, he didn't come to rise above the Romans. He came to suffer at the hands of the Romans. They had no purpose for him. They had no use for him. They considered him to be a failure. That is why some of them, some of the same people who were calling him king, are now calling for his blood. Making us ask the question, why the sudden change? We'll look at several things. In John's gospel here, in verses 13 through 16, we find that they consider him an imposter. The religious leaders say, we, he's not our king. He's not the one in which we have called for. He's not the one in which we wanted. We were looking for someone to overthrow Rome, but he is not. This was the Jewish expectation concerning the promised Messiah, but it was never God's plan. God's plan was never to send His Son to redeem humanity through kingship here on earth, but kingship in heaven. In Matthew chapter 23, if we slip over there real quick, I'm just going to slip over there and read a few verses for you. And in Matthew chapter 23, He tells us, and I'll get there, I just lost it. There it is. In verses 25 through 28, listen to what He says. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, that you clean the outside of your cup and the platters, but within are filled with uh, 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 exhortation and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, and the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed sepulchres, which indeed appeared beautiful outwardly, but are absolutely within filled with dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. They considered him an instigator. Jesus called the religious Pharisees out for what they were, He defied their rules. He defied their their religion. Jesus did not cow down under the authority of the priests and the scribes. He possessed the authority that was far greater than any of them had ever hoped to accomplish. And then again in Matthew chapter 26, if we just scoot over a few verses or chapters and then look at verses 63 through 65, we find that here they considered him an intruder. In verses 63 through 65, But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that you tell us whether that thou art Christ, the Son of God. 
Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard his blasphemy. Because he spoke against their religion, because he spoke against their ideology, he claimed to be God in which he was. Whether you and I know it or not today, listen to me, my friends, Jesus is on trial in your heart today. You are either in his corner or you are one of those who lifts his voice against him. You are either the thief on the cross who says, I will not receive him, I will deny him until my death, or you're the thief on the cross that says, Lord, remember me today. I tell you today, every one of us sitting in this room are having to make a conscious decision within our heart. Are we for Jesus or against him? You are either for Jesus or you're against him if you are one of those who have not yielded yet to the Lord by trusting Jesus for salvation. Let me tell you, you are part of the crowd that cries out against him. Jesus is on trial in your heart this morning. So I ask you the question, what verdict are you giving concerning Jesus? Is he savior or is he fool? Is he what he claims to be? The savior of the world, your savior and mine? Or is he just some lunatic claiming things that he can't back up? I tell you today, I have found that he is faithful and true. That he took that which was dirty, that which was sinful, that which was broken, and he made it clean and whole again. And he did it in me. I tell you today, the third thing that we see is found in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 15 and verses 25 through 37, the crowd shouted at his execution. The third time that we hear the crowd in fury against the Lord is when he is hanging upon the cross. Listen to what Mark chapter 15 verses 25 through 37 says to us. It was the third hour and they crucified him. And the superscription, an accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith he was numbered with his transgressors. And they that passed by riled at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyeth the temple and buildeth it up in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said unto among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And that they were crucified with him, reviled him. And then when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land in the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakthabaniah, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, even they that heard it, said, Behold, he is crying out for Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on the reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias would come and take him down. 
And Jesus cried with a loud voice, and he gave up ghost. While the Lord Jesus hung upon the cross, the Bible tells us that crowds gathered around him and they cried out to him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They falsely accused him of being a failure, of being uh, unable to do what he had claimed to do. Even those men who were dying on the cross next to him joined in the crowd as they mocked the Lord Jesus. By this time, their tolerance of this strange man with strange ideas and a strange message had turned to nothing less than pure hatred. They wanted Jesus dead and they wanted his teaching to die with him, leaving us to ask the question, why all the anger? You know, I, I, I wonder, we're living in a time and a day when it seems as though there is so much anger in the world today. And I read these scriptures and I wonder why so much anger, why the blood-hurtling screams of crucify him. Why is it that there seems to be so much anger in the hearts of man today? Let me remind you that the anger is a result of our continual sin against God. When God in his righteousness showed up, the Bible tells us in John's gospel, the light of the world came to the world, but the world didn't want him. They didn't want the light to shine in the darkness because they loved living in their darkness better than their light. They didn't want their sin exposed. And when their sin was exposed before them, it turned to pure hatred towards this man. And now the, this man who's dying on the cross for nothing that he had done, but yet for being the Son of God, it has caused this group of people to look at him and say with great anger, we want you to die. And we want your teaching to die with you. So that we can go back to living in our sin unaffected by the sin of our nature. But Jesus said, I've come to die for you, whether you want me to or not. And though they asked him to come down off the, cr the cross, and, and if you'll just save yourself, we'll believe in you. Jesus said, no, I'm going to fulfill the will of my Father, which I promised him in the prayer in the garden that night. Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus was not coming down off of the cross because it was his mission. Why all the anger? Because they misunderstood Christ's mission all along. Again, they were looking for a man that would overthrow Rome and set them free from the tyranny of the Roman government. They were looking for a revolution. What they missed was Jesus did not come to revolt but to redeem. He came for redemption. They were so busy looking for this kind of Messiah who would usher in the kingdom that they totally missed the mission that Isaiah chapter 53 tells us about. It's clear in his teaching that the Messiah must come and die for the people. People today are still missing the mission of Jesus. They still miss the fact that he came to die to set us free from our sin that he came and he gave his life willingly 
for your life so that the unrighteousness of your sin could be taken up off of you and placed upon himself and the righteousness of him could be placed upon you so that when God the Father looks down from heaven and he sees each and every one of us, he does not see the sinfulness of you, but he sees the righteousness of his Son. Today, the world is still missing the mission of Christ, the one who has come to save us from our sin. Jesus did not come to earth to be an example, a mere way-shower, He did not come to be a good teacher, one who communicates truth. He didn't even come to become a social reformer, which so many of us want the Christian church to become today. We just need to reform social uh, uh, behaviors and all will be well. Listen, my friends, we can make all the social changes we want, and until there is a heart change, there will not be a change at all. Jesus did not come for social reformers. No, Jesus came to the world. As he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He came for one purpose and one purpose only. Jesus came to the world to die. Jesus summed up his mission in one clear statement. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus reminds us, I want you to understand what I came for. Jesus said it this way, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The question that you and I must ask today is he fulfilled that mission in our heart. As he reached down into the depths of our sin and said, listen, You can no longer live the life that you're living. It's destroying you. It's keeping you separated from me and my Father's love for you. If you will turn from your sin, if you will just allow my righteousness to be applied to your life, I promise that I will come into your heart and I will make the changes needed and give you life eternal. Thank you, my little bud. Jesus is asking us the question today. Have you fulfilled the mission that he has come for you to seek and to save those that were lost? Let me remind you that we're all lost until Jesus finds us. But they also misapplied the scripture's message. When Jesus came into this world, he came to the people and the nation that were very religious. However, in all of their studies of scripture, they totally missed the Messiah. They were looking for a reformer, one who would overthrow their enemies and lead them, Jewish people, into world dominance. When Jesus came as a servant of the people, as one destined to die on a cross, they stumbled and totally missed that the word of God had taught them. These people missed the servant while they were looking for the soldier. When they saw Jesus on the cross, they were finished. They were finished with this guy who could not do for them what they wanted him to do for them. The cross became their stumbling block. Unfortunately, it's still a stumbling block today. There are many people that can't understand how can life come from death. 
How is it possible that a man who died on a cross could ever offer me eternal life? The Bible tells us that Paul the Apostle wrote that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness unto men. It's a stumbling block. Because what do we preach? The life, the death, the burial, and then praise God the resurrection. You see, the problem with the cross is that they stopped at the cross. They got hung up with the death of Jesus and they failed to look to the rest of the story. They missed the message of the cross. What could a guy who dies on a cross ever do for me? But let me remind you, it takes the shedding of his blood to wash away our sins. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. John 14.6 reminds us that Christ is the only way that we're going to get to heaven. Have you come under the crimson flow? Have you been covered by the blood? Has it washed you white as snow? If not, all he's asking you to do today is to humble yourself before him and call out his name and confess your sins and he will wash you white as snow. Have you received Jesus, his death on the cross, the atonement for your sins, the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you come to salvation? If not, don't leave this place today until you do. The last thing they missed was God's method. They expected a soldier, but they got a savior. In those last six hours on the cross, Jesus accomplished more than any conqueror in history ever accomplished in any of their conquests. He defeated the most persistent of all our enemies. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. Satan thought he was winning, but he lost the battle. He defeated hell. He defeated eternity, which kept us separated from God. Now through him, we have the promise of everlasting life. If these people and people today would only understand that God's method would not that he come to revolt, but that he came to redeem. They would not be reviling Jesus, they would be rejoicing in him. They would have been shouting, the victory is mine. And knowing that their sin debt was forever settled at the foot of the cross. But they didn't get it. They missed it. I wonder how many of us will leave this place today and not get it. Miss it. It breaks my heart to think that anyone would miss out on the opportunity of the salvation that is found in Christ and Christ alone. I told you that we were leading up to an event that silenced the crowd. So let me close this way. The terrible day, the terrible day that Jesus spent, that day is now ended. The lifeless body of Jesus hung dead upon the cross. The awful death that he endured upon the cross was mercifully over. The two men who were crucified next to him were dead as well. For the first time, 
There is silence as the crowd slowly leaves the wretched scene and heads back to their homes. There's no more shouting. They're simply heads hung low, challenging us to ask the question, why so quiet? Why are we so quiet? When we ought to be crying out, victory is mine. I have been saved. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Why so quiet, church? Why is it that we can get so excited at a ball game, but we can't get happy for Jesus? Why is it that we can uh, sing praises to, to other things, but when it comes to Christ, we're all too quiet? Why has the shouting stopped? Well, for those that day, the shouting stopped because the object of their anger was now dead. If those people on the hillside had known what you and I know this morning, they would not have been silent, but they would have been shouting, praise God, the victory is mine. If they could have just seen the fact that three days from his death, the one who died on the cross would come forth from the grave and he would arise alive forevermore. That which was dead is now alive. That which was beaten is now restored. That which was broken is now whole. Listen, my friends, when you think about that, when you think about what the resurrection did for Jesus Christ, it has done for you and I. That which was broken is made whole. That which was dead is alive. That which was a mess is now something made new. Before I finish, let me just simply tell you that yes, the shouting stopped that day because Jesus died. His enemies stopped because the object of their hatred was now dead. Even his followers lost their shout because the object of their affection was dead. But let me remind you, there came a day, just three days later, when the shouting started up again. And I'm here to tell you today that I don't preach a dead Savior. I don't preach a Savior that's on a cross or in a tomb. I preach a Savior that's in, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. He is alive today. And we're going to come back next Sunday morning and we're going to tell the world why we believe that Jesus is alive because He has changed us from that which was dead into that which is alive. Church, it's time that we stop being quiet and it's time that we start shouting again, the victory is mine, praise the Lord. He arose from the dead. I'm telling you about the one who lives forever to provide you and I the salvation that you and I need if we will come to him. Again, I've asked the question over and over again today in hopes that it'll prick someone's heart. Are you saved today?
Are you sure that you're trusting Jesus for your salvation? Are you walking in fellowship with Him today? Are there needs in your life that only Jesus can meet? There are needs, there are burdens, there are sins, there's anything that you need, that you need to take to the cross, bring it to Jesus today. Come to the foot of the cross by the way of the altar this morning. And I promise you, Jesus will meet you there. And not only will He meet you there, but He'll meet your every need. His blood is sufficient for your sin to take you from death to life, from brokenness to wholeness, from lost to found. He's done all that He needs to do. Now you need to do all that you need to do and come receive His gift. With every head bowed and every eye closed as the music folks come, I want you to think about it this morning. Jesus has died on the cross for you and for me. He's given his all, shed his blood. He gave his life so that you could have life. How can we be quiet? How can we not say, Jesus is mine. He is my Savior. The Savior of the world. But not only the world, but He is my personal Savior. I love Him because He has loved me. I follow Him because He has redeemed me. I tell others of Him because of what He has done for me. And I want you to know that He can do it for you. 